And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another episode of the Assembly Call. As today, your Indiana Hoosiers fell a bit short against the Michigan Wolverines. Michigan, one of the best teams in the country by far, and they certainly looked at today. The Wolverines cruising to a 73-57 to victory over Indiana as the Hoosiers fall on the season to 12-12 and overall and 7-10. and in the Big Ten Conference. I'm your host, Galen Clavio. I'm here with Ryan Phillips. We're going to break it all down for you here on this edition of the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm stepping in for Jared Morris, who is uh, excitedly learning about the joys of multiple child fatherhood uh, as he just uh, had his second child born recently. So we wish Jared all the best as uh, he's uh, re-childproofing all the things that he's taking the childproofing off of. Uh, so looking forward to uh, filling in for him throughout the course of this. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, let's go ahead and start the show the way we start every show, and that is with our banner moment. And we were tossing this around a little bit. Uh, not a huge amount of things that we could point to that make you excited about what's going on or what went on in this game, but a couple of things that we'll note. Uh, a big congratulations to Al Durham, who in this game did join the thousand point club for Indiana University. And Al had a pretty good game overall when you look at his offensive output, leading scorer for IU in this game. 15 points on six for nine shooting. Uh, he only had one turnover, had a pretty consistent level of effort throughout the course of the game. And, you know, I think for Al, as his assembly hall career essentially winds down and finishes, uh, we think at least in this contest. Uh, you know, a good way for him to to be sent off here with a, a leading scoring performance for IU. We also have to give a hat tip to Cooper Bybee, who gets on the score sheet for the season, uh, gets a couple of free throws there at the very end. And those are your um, your banner moments here by uh, Assembly Call. So our banner moment today is always brought to you by friends at Homefield Apparel, now in their fourth season of sponsoring the Assembly Call. And, you know... If you've listened to Assembly Call, if you've listened to Crimson Cast, if you've listened to you know any of our other programming, you know we're big fans of Home Field Apparel. Uh, they make just incredibly comfortable gear, whether it's t-shirts, whether it's hoodies, whether it's crewnecks, uh, just a whole array of wonderful, positive things to feel when you're walking around, rooting for IU, watching games, what have you. I'm wearing you know, the the beloved oatmeal hoodie, which is, I think, stealthily my favorite thing that I've got from Home Field Apparel. But I've got the Bison hoodie sitting over in the closet. Uh, my, What do you got on, Ryan? I know you, do you have one of these today. Yeah, he's got the Bison hoodie. Of, of course he does. And um, this is a place that you need to be going and checking out, folks. If you haven't been to Home Field Apparel, I'm, I'm not sure why. I don't know what more we need to do to persuade you, but we'd like to get you over there. Check out the website. Uh, and keep in mind that winter is not over yet. And with frigid temperatures overtaking the whole country, you need to be wearing hoodies and crewnecks, super soft hoodies and crewnecks. This thing is probably the softest piece of apparel I've ever owned in my life. Ryan, same way. So head over to homefieldapparel.com. They have something unique for everyone, especially IU fans. All of their apparel is printed on the softest, warmest, most comfortable, and most washable materials you will find anywhere. So, you know, if you don't have the script hoodie yet, if you don't have the bison hoodie, if you don't have any of the numerous uh, shirts, they just had a block pitchfork uh, or, or drop shadow, however you want to call it, T-shirt that they released 
a couple of months ago that I made sure to snap up immediately. A lot of great options there if you're looking for new IU gear. And they've got more than just IU gear. Homefield has apparel for over 90 different colleges and universities. New ones are added all the time. I just bought that tremendous UC Irvine uh, shirt with the the, the paddling anteater. Uh, you really have to see it to understand what we're talking about there. So go check it out. And you can always save on your home field order by using the promo code assembly20 at checkout. It gives you a 20% off your entire order throughout the course of the year. So head on over to homefieldapparel.com, load up your shopping cart, and enter assembly20 at checkout to get 20% off. Again, that's homefieldapparel.com. All right, now it's time to move the ball, find the the lone open man on this show, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of the team. It is time for Ryan's rant. Ryan Phillips joining us from the West Coast. Ryan, good to be doing the show with you. Take it away. Yeah, I, I love talking to Galen. It's just uh, not after bad losses. Come on, let's let's just. Um, I, I just think today is is just shows where Indiana is as a program. Michigan is very good. It's a great basketball team, and quite frankly, the Wolverines didn't look like they broke a sweat today. And, and I think that's the problem. They walked into Assembly Hall like they own the place and and dominated. And I think probably the most telling thing is that Indiana's seven and ten in the Big Ten. It clinches another season at or below five hundred, which has been five straight years in the Big Ten at or below five hundred. Archie Miller's best year in the Big Ten was his first year when he went nine and nine, and it was eight and twelve, nine and eleven, and now, I mean, they're staring down the face of seven and twelve you know, with, with road games against an improving Michigan state and Purdue who he never beats. Uh, yeah. I, I just think this shows you where Indiana is right now. When good teams used to come into assembly hall, the Hoosiers would get fired up and they'd usually go toe to toe with them. I mean, almost every time I remember a, a top five team coming to assembly hall, Indiana steps up. I know there's no crowd there. I know the energy wasn't there, whatever, but Indiana from the get-go just didn't look like they thought they could win this game. And that's where the program is at, unfortunately. I wrote a column about it on the big lead yesterday. And, you know, if you want to go check that out, you can. I'm not going to rehash it. But it just it, it seems like Indiana is an average team at best. I, I know people who quote Ken Palm numbers at me and all that. But you watch this team play. They're not a good basketball team. It's an okay basketball team that against lesser competition might be able to get some wins. But they're in the toughest conference in the country, and that's a terrible recipe to be average in the toughest conference in the country. And so I just think that's where we are right now. This is an average program. Over the last decade, it's probably ranks about ninth or, or eighth or ninth in the Big Ten as far as the program overall goes. And and that's where we are. And and some people think that, that we should do this for another year. And some people think we don't. And quite frankly, I'm on record saying I don't think we should do this another year. I, I just think that especially with Trace Jackson Davis leaving. Uh, I, I, unless you import an enormous impact transfer, I don't see how this team gets better next year. So, And the Big Ten's only going to continue to get better. So I, I just, that's where we are. And, and I know that, that, that people want to have a pitchforks and, and you know, torches session on some of these postgame shows. We've said how we feel, and, and that's how we feel. And so... All we could do is talk about the game and maybe do a little macro talk about the program, but we all know where we're at. And it's that Indiana isn't a good basketball team. And after four years, Indiana and the resources available to this program, Indiana should be a good basketball team and it's not. And so that's, we've reiterated that time and time again. So I, I, today was just another indication of 
you know, this is where we are. It feels like every time we do one of these podcasts, whether it's live like this or, or whether it's what we do on Crimson Cast, where we're taping in the middle of the week, there's two things we have to talk about. We have to talk about the the micro, like what was the last game that was coached or played sure, and where that matchup is. And then there's the macro. It's like, what does this say about where everything is at with IU basketball at this point? And I think if we start with the micro, it actually illustrates the macro very well. I agree. Almost every time there's yeah. a loss, it illustrates it perfectly. No, Michigan's a really good team. They're a really good basketball program. And you know, I think a lot of people were chuckling and and expecting the Juwan Howard hire to not work out. And it's anything but. I mean, it, this has been a program that has not only played well throughout the course of the season, but they've done so despite having a COVID break that lasted over three That's weeks. incredible that they bounced right back from that. And they've they've handled pretty much every punch that's been thrown at them this season. And and you know, to watch Michigan be able to do what they've done this year is not surprising because Michigan's program over the course of the last decade, more often than not, has produced these sorts of, of teams, regardless of who's at the helm. Very smooth transition from the beeline era to the Howard. I mean, he, Howard came in with a lot to work with, and but he elevated he's added, it. And he's added to it. Yeah. You know, it's not just like he's coasting on beeline sure. uh, laurels. He's he done a really good job of adding the right pieces, putting them in good positions. And you watch this Michigan team today. It, this game reminded me of watching a good team you know, a good, like good IU teams from the past playing against subpar teams on the road where there was obviously a disparity both in talent and in execution. And even though I think Indiana's effort was better today, certainly than it was against Rutgers. And sure. I, think I, than I have no problem with the effort today. But but they just aren't good enough. And that is really unsettling. It's not surprising, but it's unsettling to watch it happen again in a home game a senior night for IU. And, you know, there was, I was talking with Scott Caulfield, my podcasting partner, and, and he was saying, you know, I'm seeing people saying, well, Michigan's a likely number one seed. They're likely going to win the Big Ten. You can't really expect IU to win this game. That's how far the program's fallen when you can't expect to win a home game in the conference. I mean, we see there's teams like Penn State and Northwestern that win home games against much better competition because they lock in. They play hard for 40 minutes. They, they're they able to figure out ways to win, even against top-level competition. And the idea that you would look at IU and say, well, I mean, gosh, there's no way that they could compete in this contest. It just, it, it's a larger, it's part of the larger issue. And that, I think, is probably the most unsettling part. I didn't come in thinking, oh, IU's going to win. But the idea that they... Give them a game, at least. Yeah, the idea that, that it's going to do what it did, where it's like it just gradually drifts away throughout the course of the contest is where Indiana's at right now. And so, you know, when well, I, I just want to illustrate one thing, Galen, it's Indiana's best players this year have arguably more than likely been race Thompson, Tracy Jackson, Davis, and Al Durham. If you have to look at, you know, you have to pick three guys. Those are your three guys, probably Al Durham against. And so they're playing against Michigan's best guys. Al Durham was minus 20. Trace Jackson Davis was minus 19 and race Thompson was minus 13. So when you're matching up your best players, against Michigan's best players, we are 20 points behind them, essentially, across the board. That tells you where this program is. And, and again, it's not pure, just pure talent. It's they've developed better. They've 
they execute better. They have guys who can do things at all three levels on offense. They can they can hit a mid-range jumper. They can hit a three, and they can get to the rim. Indiana just feels like it has guys who can do one thing, if that. You know, Trace Jackson Davis is a post guy. Ray Thompson, he, he occasionally will step out and hit like a 10-footer, but for the most part, he's scoring around the rim. Al Durham right now feels like, I mean, I know he's only one of three today and got more in the paint, but in general, he's just a, a catch-and-shoot guy. And, and occasionally he'll drive in and get something, maybe go to the free throw line. But there's just there's nobody who does things at, at different levels of the offense. And then defensively, let's be real, this is supposed to be a defense-first program, and they're, what, ninth in the Big Ten in de- defensive efficiency? I mean, it's just a, a mishmash of things that aren't good, yeah. <laughs> you know? And and is, is, is Indiana Penn State, is Indiana Northwestern? I mean, they lost Northwestern earlier. But is Indiana, you know, down at the, at the very, very bottom of the conference? No, but they're not far away from those programs. And no. and I think that 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 game to game, we're seeing you don't know. The other thing that they do that's maddening is you don't know what to expect. The con- the consistency is not there, and I think that's more maddening than anything. If you're a mid tier Big Ten team and you show up every game as a mid tier Big Ten team, that's easier to deal with than beating Iowa twice and not even showing up against Rutgers twice, you know, like, like getting run off the floor by Rutgers and, and Purdue and whatever. So I just think that's, what's the most frustrating part is there's no, there's no, you don't know what you're going to get from this team from game to game, but you know, it's going to be inconsistent. And, and it's not just game to game from the whole team. It's like individual players. We've talked about this. Like Rob Finnessy had a decent start to this game. A lot of people he scored in two games, uh, you know, offensively at least, he was a bit more aggressive to start off with. And I think he had seven points in like the first 10 minutes and then didn't score the rest of the game. Yeah. Didn't, have didn't turn the ball over much, but he just wasn't adding. He, he, his turnover came on like the second possession. And right. Then, um, but it was just a nothing performance. Right. And you know? so it's not a bad Rob Fennessey performance, although it's not what you need out of him. But I think it's emblematic of the larger issue. I don't want to pick on Rob here necessarily, is that there's just – Collectively and individually, there's very few players who just bring it night in and night out. I mean, Race Thompson's probably the closest. Trace Jackson Davis certainly. This he was attempts to. And he tries to, but he doesn't have a lot of help. And and a lot of this really comes back to this system-based issue that we're talking about with the way that the team is set up to play, both offensively and defensively. Offensively, it's it's such a, a you know, a a paleolithic era offense at this stage where it's just hammer the ball inside and you might miss a bunch of layups or short shots because you're constantly hunting for contact as opposed to looking to kick back out again, trying to get people into position, trying to draw the defense back out again. It just, you know, the, somebody mentioned earlier on this team may lead the nation in shots taken in the last five seconds of a, shot clock because it's been that way for four years and it's, and it's and it's not because it's the design it's because there's nothing happening on offense and most of those shots seem to be born out of more of a desperation than anything else and you mentioned the defense i think that's the bigger problem uh you you overestimated their location right now in the ranks of conference only defense if you look at ken palm right now after that game they've sunk to 12th wow. in the conference and they're only a 10th of a point of, a per possession ahead of Minnesota and Northwestern. Uh, so we're talking about a defensive effort in conference play that is almost at the bottom of the heap at this point. And really the problem with those defensive efforts, the reason why the rating is so low is almost entirely because of the field goal percentage that other teams are shooting. 
you know, they're, they're giving up 37% on threes. They're giving up an effective field goal percentage of 52%. What does that tell you, Ryan, about why the defense isn't working? They're getting good shot. The opponent's getting good shots. I mean, they're getting good looks. And and that that's the whole thing that the pack line is meant to prevent is good looks. You know, it's supposed to force you into long threes and long twos. And that's not happening. And we've seen it over the last couple of weeks. Teams are just carving Indiana up on the drive. And even if they don't score off those drives, that opens up the whole floor. And it's conversely, you look at Indiana, they don't consistently have guys who can get anything off the bounce. Now, you occasionally have something. Al Durham got some stuff today. Rob Finnessy was more aggressive today a little bit. But they don't have that consistency where they can go in. And then they don't have guys you can kick out to consistently and knock down shots. You look at Michigan, everybody on that roster can hit a jumper. Everybody. You know, they may not, they may hit 27%, but they're a threat and you have to respect that threat. And I think it's really informative when you watch a team like Michigan that's got their their mojo working. They know exactly what they want to do on the floor offensively. And it's not just that all their players can hit shots. It's that they know where to go on the floor to put themselves in a position to hit a shot, which is, I think, in stark contrast to what you see out of Indiana, where guys just don't seem to have it intrinsically in their brains. Like, okay, I need to go to this spot and just wait and allow the play to come to me, allow the pass to come back out. Partially, I think, because the passes haven't been coming. So it's it's not like that's something that they were doing and then stopped doing. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be part of the way the offense is set up. And so when I when I look at a team like Michigan or any of the other teams that are really good at playing offense, it does make it feel to some degree like we're just schematically very behind in terms of the way that things are being approached. Well, I think one thing that, that's worth mentioning is is this system was supposed to kind of be like Virginia's. Now, not exactly. Like the offensive systems aren't exactly the same and all that. But the idea was to play like Virginia, defend your butt off, and then have a offense where you get a good shot every time you you get a good shot. The problem with a methodical offense like that is if you get behind. And then there's no coming back. I mean, we saw it with Virginia when they lost to UMBC. And that had happened to Virginia a bunch of times in the past. But that was where it was illustrated. UMBC hit a bunch of threes, got up early, and then Virginia had no way to come back quickly because their offense is a mismatch. And that's why Tony Bennett changed the offense the next year and they won a national championship. It When you get behind to a good team, you need ways to come back. One of those ways is by hitting a lot of three-pointers. Indiana doesn't do that. Now, they have a decent three-point percentage on the year. There were about 35% coming into the game. They only make six a game on average, which is you know somewhere in the 280s or something like that, uh, 260s uh, nationally. It's that's not you know you know so you're you're hitting a good percentage, but you're not taking and hitting enough. And so there's no way for this team to ever crawl its way back into a game when it gets behind. That's why starts are so important for it, and that's why defense is so important. And when those two things are out the window, it you know, it, it means you can just see the loss coming because if you get down 10, where are the points going to come from that are going to get you back into the game quickly? Trace Jackson Davis today, a tough game from the field, three for 12. Field Started goal. one for eight, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, 12, 10 points, four rebounds. And uh, it's a disappointing outing, but Michigan knew exactly how to approach defending Trace Jackson Davis. There's not a lot of help coming there. Trace is constantly looking for contact, which is throwing his shot off. This has kind of been the case with Trace throughout the course of the year. He had a couple of tremendous offensive games in the previous two games, both of which unfortunately were losses. But 
when a team really decides they want to defend Trace Jackson hard, he, it, it's un, I, I hate seeing it happen to him because as much as he's trying and as much as he's trying to utilize his skill, it's essentially an impossible task. Yeah, and and what Trace Trace has really struggled against size and length this year. Really struggled, and you know that makes sense. He's not a seven foot center or big guy, and he plays. He essentially plays as a center, and he's not seven feet tall. And so when you face a guy like Dickinson who has some length, has some size, and you face the rest of Michigan's team, which has some athleticism, it's tough to get what you want every time down the floor. And Trace, what he does, and and it's it's not just Trace. This is what a lot of smaller big men will do is they'll try and work angles off the backboard, extreme angles off the – try and go around guys instead of working to go through them. And And we've talked about this before. He did this against Kofi Coburn. It just didn't work. And and he really struggled against Kofi, and you know it's it's sad to watch, especially. But the pro, I think the the bigger problem, the macro, if you would say, on this is that Indiana relies on him to basically be Superman, and when he's not, the game's essentially over. And so it's not Trace's fault. The fault is that there aren't other guys around him who are stepping up to be like, all right, Trace is struggling today. I'm putting it on me. Race Thompson had a decent game today offensively, but that's not enough to carry you to the finish line. And, and so Trace does really struggle with size, which and, and the fact that he hasn't really developed a jumper or a three-point shot really worries me about his professional prospects. Now, I I mean, I think there's a 1% chance he comes back, you know, so I don't think, I, I, you know, I don't think that's changing anything and he can go and get developed in the professional ranks as a better shooter. But because you haven't developed that skill set, it does leave you open to criticism and it does leave you open to, you know, being defended more easily. Cause when he's out on the perimeter and he gets the ball 15 feet from the hoop on those dribble handoffs, nobody's afraid of him out there. And, and so it just, it, it, what happens and what has happened to Indiana's offense, and it's happened to every season. Archie Miller's been there early in the season. Things are more spread out. And as the season goes on, it, it it gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And every time it, it gets a step tighter and def- defenders can take a step closer to the paint on those perimeter guys, it gets easier and easier to defend because they don't have to go as far. And they know they don't have to close out to shooters. Indiana was 4 or 15 from three today. You know, Michigan would have let them shoot all day long out there and said, well, you make it. We're going to come back down and answer with our own. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. I mean, that's essentially where you're at. And so it becomes harder and harder and harder for Trace or Jawan Morgan or whoever it is in the paint to dominate when you've got guys all around you. And also what happens when you compress that that offensive set and the defense compresses, there's no driving lanes anyway. So even if you had a driver like Romeo Lankford, you know, when he was when he was on the team, they there's nowhere to go on those drives. So it's just Everything is collapsing on Trace Jackson Davis. Even if they're guarding him one-on-one, there's people around, and it makes it harder to operate, and it's making him easier to defend. 
Well, we're going to continue this uh, happy festival of a post-game show here in just a second as we continue our breakdown of Indiana's loss to the Michigan Wolverines. We'll point out the meaningful moment you might have missed today, and then we'll go inside the numbers to highlight the most important statistical notes from the game. You're listening to The Assembly Call. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Should I say anything else here or just move up, move forward? Go right in. <laughs> we have no music today, folks. So. I know. There's no no music. Jared can cut this out later. We're using a different uh, a different board setup. So anyway, all right. We'll go in three, two. You're listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Galen Clavio here with Ryan Phillips as we're breaking down Indiana's loss against the Michigan Wolverines at home. Indiana drops to four and six at home on the campaign. And I think that's, we're going to start with that. The meaningful moment you may have missed uh, in terms of, of of how this game kind of unfolded the way that it did. The, this was actually, I think a game that Indiana acquitted themselves well enough in, in the early going, we talked about this earlier on this idea of the effort level that Indiana had. And there was a moment at about the eight and a half minute mark of the first half where Indiana had kind of withstood that early surge by Michigan, they had come back a little bit. They'd gotten some points on the board. And you had a really nice assist from Race Thompson to Trace Jackson Davis. Who He glides in. He dunks over Michigan's opponents. And he gets a free throw attempt with a chance to tie the game up at 22. Instead, misses the free throw. Mike Smith hits a three-pointer coming down. Hunter Dickinson uh, is able to, to slam the ball home on their next possession and get a free throw. And the next time Indiana would score would be at the 536 mark. And by that point, they were already down by 11. Uh, and essentially, a game that, I, again, I, I think it was obvious the direction it was going to head. But at that point, it was over. And Indiana really never got very close again. Yeah. And it's just... I marked that, too. It was a 10-0 run after that dunk. And that dunk, you felt like, oh, there's some momentum at least. Because the, the goal when you're facing a team like this isn't... I mean, you want to beat them, obviously. That's the goal. But... You want to have a good game. You want to show that, hey, you know what? We can step up to this competition so that maybe in the Big Ten tournament, we face a team, they're you know out of sorts, or they already have their spot in the tournament locked up. Maybe they're not as compelled to, to come out. We could take them down. And, and and so you score there, and you get within one, and and you just feel like, okay, there's some momentum here. It was a 5-0 run. And then, yeah, Michigan was just like, nope, not happening. And, and just put the hammer down right there. Yeah, it's... There's two aspects of this that I think are important, and you see it in pretty much every game that IU plays. They'll play well, and then something will happen that isn't quite as good as what's happened before. There'll be some mistake, or there'll be a foul, or the other team will convert at a, at a key moment. And it's just like somebody pulling the plug out of a bathtub and all the water running out. Like the 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 urgency, the focus, all the things that allow IU to keep a game close or, or take a lead just disappears. And it's amazing to me how fragile this team's psyche tends to be in these sorts of circumstances. And I think it's probably one of the more disappointing and surprising aspects of the Archie Miller era is that, we, look, we know that there are some structural deficiencies. We know that there are issues with you know, guys not being able to hit shots or guys maybe not being as instinctive offensively. But one of the things that was most exciting to me about Archie Miller at Dayton, the, the way that his teams played, they just looked so tough. They looked so into games. There was so much effort. And they seemed to be able to handle 
a lot of the adversity that would come at them on the floor. And yeah. that has not been a hallmark of Archie Miller's teams at IU. Quite the opposite. No, they don't handle success or failure very well. Yeah. They, they're, they're at their best where they're just kind of doing okay. But they don't handle success well. They don't handle failure well. And I, the other, I, I just think that that three-pointer answer by Smith from Michigan just showed how a very good team handles adversity. You know what I mean? Like he just stepped into a three and nailed it and was confident and was not like, Oh man, they're getting close. I got to go make a play. He was like, Oh, the ball came to me and I'm going to nail a three. Like it, that's the difference between a good team, between like an average team and a good team. And, and Michigan's a really good team. Yeah. It's uh, it's, you know it when you see it. If you've watched yes. basketball enough, you there's a there's this intangible visual element of watching a team play basketball when they're confident, when they know where they're supposed to be. And IU just very rarely has that visual aspect. We've seen it pop up in a couple of instances. I think you know the game they played at home versus uh, Iowa, or the game that they played at home versus Illinois. Uh, those felt like games where uh, you, you could watch those games. The Minnesota game at home, they looked. Yeah. Like a regular basketball team for most of those games, a team that was able to roll with the punches and figure things out as they're going. And you know what? It it just happens so infrequently with IU under Archie Miller that it's I can the fact I can remember those two or three games and be like, yeah, that's when IU look like a a good basketball team and it sticks out that much against the rest of the games is is really disappointing. Um we also would like to go inside the numbers here and talk. Let me do one more meaningful you want moment. Do something else meaningful moment. Just, you have, I'm just real quick. It, yes, it was after that 10-0 run. Christian Lander came in, hit a three-pointer, and then on the next possession, finally made a layup. And I think that look, we're looking at baby steps here, yeah. but positive that Christian Lander is affecting games in a positive way. And today, if you look at the if you look at the plus minus, uh, he wound up with being a where is he? He's a minus two in 15 minutes. Given the rest of them, that's pretty good today. And, and, you know, seven points, um, had a rebound and assist and only one turnover and a steal. Seeing him play well, it, I mean, cause he's, he's going to be leading the team next year, I think. And, and seeing him start to maybe make some, feel better about getting to the lane, uh, step into a three confidently. I still think his shot needs to be broken and rebuilt this offseason, but at least he's shooting it confidently. Um, and he had a couple, he had a couple other attempts too that were, you know, at least on the rim, which has not been the case lately. So, uh, but just seeing him attack and, and, you know, with more confidence was, was definitely a positive against a good team. You know, it wasn't like he was doing this against Penn State. He's attacking against a good team. You know, the thing is, I'm 100% with you, and I w- it was exciting to see Lander attempt some shots, have some luck hitting the shots. This game today is the second highest point total he's had in a game all season. Uh, it only exceeded by the 10 points he scored against North Alabama. And this is the first time that Christian Lander has scored in a game since February 7th when Indiana played at home versus Iowa. And he hit, and that, he hit a couple threes, right? It won three, one three, three, three yeah. in that game. Uh, you know, so it's, it's good for his confidence. It's something that needs to happen. You got to get him some more minutes. You got to find ways for him to stay in the game and, and learn. But as I mentioned on podcast on the brink yesterday, there's just so much that he takes off the table right now on so many possessions from a defensive perspective, yeah, of course, 
even offensively. I mean, we were talking yesterday, his offensive rating as an individual player is 67.9, which we were really searching to try to find players that had had these many struggles in terms of just converting possessions used into baskets, which is essentially what that number uh, calls out. And look, I think it's it's going to get gradually better, but it's going to require him getting the 16 minutes he got in the game tonight yeah. as opposed to the, the nine or eight that he got against Michigan State or Minnesota. Right. And and I think partially, and we go back to this, is obviously this is a weird year and it's nobody's fault, but the lack of a non-conference schedule hurt all of these guys a lot. And that's across the board, across the country. If you weren't starting as a freshman, the non not having a long non-conference schedule really hurt you. And and you're seeing it in a lot of like five-star guys who came in and weren't starters and, and things like that. It's just the freshmen have not been great this year across the country and have not lived up to expectations. And there are some who were planning to be one and done who are looking like they may come back as a result. And so I think that that certainly happened with Lander and, and maybe with Leal and maybe with a Galloway was playing right from the get go. So I don't think his issues are related to that, but even, you know, someone like Jordan Geronimo and those guys didn't get a chance to run early. And so you went right into the Asheville, you know, Maui invitational, uh, pretty soon in your season. And so it just, it really hurt their development because they didn't get to play and get confidence at a college level or work out the kinks on the floor. Cause you can practice as much as you want. You go on the floor of a college basketball game. It is entirely a different scenario. So I would just say that, that I think that's affected everyone. I agree at this point of the season, there's no downside to playing him more. Uh, because quite frankly, the, with the way Rob Finnessy has, has played the last couple of weeks, I, Lander, I, I'm not saying he's better, but at least it, you're building with something for the future, especially if Archie's going to be around next year. I think that that's it's at this point, it doesn't hurt you to, to, to give him some run. I agree. He gives up stuff defensively. He's not consistent offensively, but that's not going to get better sitting on the bench. Any other stats jump out to you in this game? I mean, the, most of them seem pretty by the numbers. Uh, even the free throw disparity, which was such a big story in the first half, ended up not being that much of a disparity. Yeah, they didn't call fouls in the second half. I mean, yeah. at all. And and I was I was much happier with that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, what did they? What did uh, what did Michigan have in the first half? Like eighteen free throws or something? I think they were like sixteen that? of eighteen, and they I think they shot one more the rest of the game or something. Yeah, like that. and yeah. and Indiana sixteen of eighteen, and then Indiana had nine, I think, in the first half. Yeah, but it was five for a long period of time. Uh, yeah, the foul the, the foul disparity was a bit a bit nuts in the first half, but some of that was legit. I mean, look, there Michigan was putting Indiana in bad spots. I think the the it wasn't that all the fouls on Indiana were BS. I think that the non-calls Trace Jackson Davis wasn't getting in the paint were the real problem there. And I thought he was getting hammered pretty consistently by Dickinson and, and other guys coming to help. Um, but really from a stats perspective, I think I, you know, Michigan out rebounded him by 10. I was surprised Indiana had seven offensive rebounds. I think a lot of those came early, but they had seven offensive rebounds. Uh, Michigan, just how efficient they are. 89.5% from the free throw line, 38% from three, 45% from the field. And perhaps the the worst stat for me is nine of 24 for Indiana on layups. I mean, some and some of them were not contested very highly. What is it about Indiana around the basket that gives them so many problems? I, I've got some theories, but I'd like to hear from you on this. Well, I mean, nine of those were Trace Jackson Davis. 
you know, and he really, we've, we've discussed that he really struggles, but there are guys, you know, Durham drove in one time, had a wide open layup and missed it. Uh, fantasy drove in and he's a really good finisher when he actually gets in with momentum. He's a pretty good finisher and he just had one roll off. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're expecting contact. And so that throws off their angles or, or what, but it is, it is staggering when they make their layups, they usually win. And when they lose, they don't. And, and it's, you know, I know they also have to hit threes and hit free throws and, and whatever, but the layups number is crazy. Every time they lose, it feels like they just don't make them. They don't score consistently in the paint outside of Trace X Davis. It's, it's, I don't know what, what's your theory on it? Cause I am, I'm at a loss. I, I think that one of the, I will say one of the things Archie Miller has built this program around scoring in the paint and getting to the free throw line. Right. They don't shoot free throws very well. They're, I think, 288th in the country. I marked in my column the other day. That'll go up after today, but not by a whole lot. So your whole premise is you're either going to score in the paint or you're going to get fouled because you're being aggressive, and then you'll go to the free throw line and make your free throws. Well, they don't make their free throws. So clearly this plan has not worked uh, the way it's supposed to. But I think a lot of guys go in expecting contact, and they don't finish through that contact. Yeah, I think the, the goal of the offense seems to be to get the ball into the paint or onto the low block. But I don't know that there's a lot being done after that to say, well, here's what you should do with it other than try to draw a foul. And I think what you're seeing as the Big Ten conference wears on is that officials look at that and say, well, we're not going to bail you out every time you yes. go up and get contact. And that, I mean, if you've watched Big Ten basketball at all over the last couple of decades, that should come as no surprise. Yeah. Um, you got to hit a guy with a two by four to get a call in the Big Ten. Uh, and when your offense is is the one trick pony that Indiana's often is, where it's just like dump the ball in the post and then try to work on the guy uh, that's next to you, you're just not going to get the same level of consideration on most nights from the officials in that situation. You have to be more aggressive. There has to be more movement with the ball. Uh, I, officials almost always tend to defer towards either players that they perceive as being more talented than the player that's doing the fouling and or they are deferential towards aggressive moves towards the basket. I mean, officials yeah. love decisiveness in this action. Context. If yeah. you're creating the action. Yeah. And I use just not decisive They're You know, the, the few times that they are like when trace Jackson Davis had that dunk in the first half, uh, I mean, he got the foul call. Everything was fine, but so much of it is going diagonally. You know, like you're almost parallel to where the basket's at as opposed yes. to perpendicular. And you're just not going to get that. And even when you, and so, when you're not getting the call, you're adjusting your shot anyway to try to absorb the contact, and that seems to be way off as well. So it almost feels like there's two separate things. There's the schematic aspect of how they're supposed to be handling those moments, but then there's the actual kind of touch physicality of how you put the ball up, where it's going, and, and what amount of, of juice is on it as you're trying to get it into the cylinder. Yeah, guys, I don't know if you, to the listeners, I don't know if you ever played basketball, but if you go in at full speed and get bumped while you're trying to shoot, it's hard to make a layup. You train for that, you prepare for that, but at the same time, you're supposed to be able to, do, I mean, you are supposed to be able to finish through that contact, and teams that finish through contact are the ones that win in the Big Ten, and and you see, that's a big difference for Michigan State over the last couple of games. They are finishing through contact. Michigan finishes through contact. Dickinson gets bumped all the time, finishes just fine. Co you know a guy who really finished well through contact? Cody Zeller finished really well through contact because he prepared for it and he was ready for it. And the contact, he made it look like the contact didn't bother him. 
And, and that's really what you have to do in a conference like the Big Ten. In other conferences, you might get those calls more often. You do not in the Big Ten. And so it's it's a matter of toughness. It's a matter of focus. And it's a matter of just being prepared for it. It's going to happen. You're going to get hit. And you got to be able to finish. Anything else before we finish this segment up? No, looking at stats from this game is only going to depress me. So uh, let's yeah. just. Yeah, I'm with oh, you. I will say only 11 yeah. turnovers today and only three in the first half, and they were down significantly. So yeah. that's clearly not the only issue, but yeah, and it, it up a little bit. No, and you're, and, and I guess the last thing I'll say on this when you look at the stats, it's nothing jumps out as being horrific. And again, it's what you would expect playing Michigan, quite frankly. Right. And this isn't, this was not. This was not the Rutgers game. It was not the second half of the Michigan State game. It was a decent effort that highlighted the other deficiencies in the package for IU. And like you said, it wasn't a turnover fest for IU. They didn't shoot particularly great, but they also didn't shoot as badly as we've seen them. Um, you know, But the defensive effort was not there, and this was just more of a highlight of the, the difference in tiers between yeah. where Indiana's at and where Michigan's at right now. Anyway... Yeah, you- Played a better team and they beat you and, and, you know, gave effort and all of that stuff. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's whether or not the, the issue isn't this game, it's whether or not we should be here. You know, I think we all know that it's whether or not we should be in position to play this game the way that we did, not how they played, because again, there was effort. They were trying. They're just not good enough to, to compete with Michigan. Coming up on the assembly call, we'll hand out our game balls. We'll talk. Don't laugh. We're going to talk about IU's tournament prospects and and what they would need to do to try to work their way into the tournament at this point. I feel like we need to talk about that, even if even if it's just a one percent chance. We should chat about it. We're going to look ahead to IU's next opponent, and then it'll be time for last call. Thanks to all you folks who have stuck with us so far. Stick with us through the rest of the program here on the assembly call. We'll be right back. Sticky notes, email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. You're listening to the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. Catch us live immediately following every IU basketball game, plus every Thursday night at our website, assemblycall.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the free IU Hoops email newsletter. Over 7,000 of you fellow IU fans have subscribed so far. You can text IU to 66866 to subscribe to the newsletter. Again, text IU to 66866. Six. I'm Galen Clavio. Got Ryan Phillips with me here. We're breaking down Indiana's loss against the Michigan Wolverines. And time for our game balls here in this game. Uh, I'm going to let you start as, uh, as, because I, I don't know. I, I know the obvious one. So I just want to let you have it. Nope. I'm, I'm going off the board. I'm going with Cooper Bybee. Congrats to that young man as a senior on senior night, making two free throws, getting on the board, scoring for the season. And here, you want to know a real reason why he should get it? Of the entire roster, he was the only one positive and plus minus. There you, there you go. go. Two points for Cooper Bivey in, in a minute. But, you know, I he's a kid who was, you know, a local kid from, from Ellettsville who had a great high school career, went and played at a junior college, uh, can shoot the lights out, came, really never got a chance to get on the floor at Indiana. Um, but, 
really nice to see him get a senior day moment like that and took a three and was was a little off because of course they were trying to force it to him and then he got to the line knocked down his free throws like a shooter should and uh i i, I gotta give a game ball to the, to the walk on getting points on senior day i think that's a great choice and i was really it's happy times whenever you see a guy who doesn't get much play get in and, and get a chance to get on the scoreboard at the end of the game it might violate you know, the, the Mark Titus edict for walk-ons, but uh, <laughs> for, for a guy like Cooper, especially on, on a night like this, it's good to see him get some numbers. I'm going to go with the obvious statistical choice here, Al Durham. And I mean, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Al was the leading scorer for the team, 15 points tonight, shot the ball pretty well, six for nine, uh, only one turnover. And, you know, I think when we think about Al, this was Al's last game in an IU uniform at Assembly Hall. And when you look at what he did over the course of his career, it's something we'll talk about more at the end of the season, obviously. But I give Al credit for doing his best to come out and play uh, you know, as, as often as he has here over the course of the season. He certainly had some games that have not lived up to what our expectations might have been. Uh, but I also think it's important to keep in mind Al – is not a first option type of player. I mean, he's he's a guy who's really he's more, a low three star recruit. Let's be real. He's a glue guy who, when you know, I think when he's at his best, he's able to play off other players. He's able to give other players space. And and frankly, when IU's played well more often than not this season, that's exactly what he's managed to do. You know, whether it was the the big game that he had against Northwestern on the road where he got the the Ken Palm MVP, scored twenty four points in that game, the sixteen points he scored at home against Minnesota you know he's had those sorts of efforts a lot throughout the course of the season and you look at his statistical arc over the course of his career improved every year he's improved pretty much every year in most categories he's he's shooting almost 40 percent from three which is the best he's shot in his career this 12 percent better than when he came in too and I think the biggest thing about Al both from this game and really for the season as a whole is how much he's cut his turnovers down uh, you know, his the percentage of, of possessions that he was giving away on turnovers last year was one of the big problems that that team had in the backcourt. And he sliced those down significantly this season, down to about 13 percent of possessions used. And that's a huge increase. It obviously shows that he worked on his game. I, I think the I'm, I feel like Al's going to get forgotten in the mix as time goes by because yeah. it's not been a good four years for IU basketball. Yeah, uh, but the the contributions he was able to make tonight are emblematic of the effort and contributions that he's made more often than not throughout the course of the season. So I I tip my hat to him, and he gets my game ball for the evening. Yeah, and just to point out about Al, his minutes went from twenty six to thirty three this year. Uh, three point percentage thirty eight to thirty nine. Started at twenty eight point six as a freshman. He started nine games as a freshman as a three star as well. Worth noting. Uh, rebounds. 3.3 as opposed to 2.1 last year. Assist 2.9, 2.5 last year. And, and as you said, turnovers went from 1.9 per game to 1.4 per game. And his scoring average went from 9.8 to 11.5. He has improved in every category. Al is not the reason we are where we are. You know, I mean, he's a guy who is what you expected him to be. You expected him to be a better shooter this year. He's been a better shooter. A guy who could catch and shoot, he can do that. Guy who draws fouls is going to hit free throws. He's uh, 77.8% this year, but he had a stretch where he really wasn't shooting well from the free throw line and has improved on that. Um, I just think he's a guy who, Al is what he is. He's better than I expected him to be when he was recruited. 
remember when he was recruited, there was this whole thing about his shot and how right. he needed to change his shot and all this. And Al, when they interviewed him, he said, nah, I'm not changing my shot. And look at him. Yeah. Good for him. So I, I, I have always liked Al. He's a good kid. He's always got a smile on his face when you see him outside of a basketball. Um, just a good kid and, and a good representative of the university. And he is the, the problem Indiana has is he should be a piece, not a featured guy you're relying on heavily. And that's what he is. And, and on another big 10 team, he'd be a guy who came in and hit shots for you right. and made an occasional, you know, occasionally made a play and maybe got a steal and went length of the court or something like that. But not, you know, one of the guys you're saying he's our second most off, uh, important offensive player. And that's not Al's fault. That's the fault of every the, the roster around him. So, uh, yeah. giving Al the game ball, I, I cannot really argue with. And as we mentioned at the top, and and as Scott just mentioned on one of the comments, Al joined the thousand point club. Yes, IU, which is something only fifty three players have done. I think that's what the number is. I'll, I'll have to double check that. But it's an exclusive club, and especially at Indiana, it's a yeah, big, big deal. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's move on. We need to hit the the Mike Roberts Real Hustle Award for the evening, or the I guess the afternoon, presented by Evansville Security Services. So let's talk about Evansville Security Services. It's, it's the hometown of Calbert Cheney, and I mean, what else do you need to know beyond that? ESS provides off-duty police officers to businesses and individuals throughout Indiana. In addition, Evansville Security Services offers an accident reconstructionist who can go all over the state. Go to EvansvilleSecurityServices.com to learn more. That's EvansvilleSecurityServices.com. Or you can call them, 812-214-1132. Remember, prevention cannot be measured. Let Evansville Security Services help you prevent a bad outcome today. Ryan, I'm going to let you start with this one as well. Oh, of course. Just dump it all on me. Uh this one's tough because I would have gone Al, but I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to go with, with uh race Thompson. I think 11 points, six rebounds. Uh, he had two blocks and a steal race was trying out there all day. And I know he's struggling with that mask. It's obvious that that mask is not, you know, he, he really struggled against Rutgers. I think part of that was, you know, pain as well as the mask, but uh, he's a guy all season who has given consistent effort and has really been the energy. Uh, he's been the engine of the team, really giving him energy. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I have to sort of default to him when there's not a great option. He's out there playing hard the entire game and, you know, wasn't really intimidated by Michigan, which I can't say about everybody on the roster, but he uh, he consistently played well. And quite frankly, he was our better post player today. So I'm giving it to race. <laughs> I'm going to go the opposite side of the post. I'm actually going to give this to Trace Jackson Davis. I felt bad for Trace in this game. Yeah, it's not his fault. He was he was so bottled up by a superior Michigan front line and, and a, frankly, a, a very good defensive plan by Juwan Howard. I, I thought Trace was doing his best against very difficult circumstances. And it may not have shown in terms of the point total or even the rebound total, uh, but there was a lot of movement by Trace trying to get himself in position. I probably would have gone with Race on this if you hadn't gone there first. So <laughs> with TJD, uh, it's maybe the one positive thing that comes out of the game for him. But um, anyway, uh, as we wrap up that, uh, the, the Mike Roberts Real Hustle Award presented by Evansville Security Services, let's move on. And chat a little bit about a couple of lingering storylines. One I wanted to hit real fast was the injury situation. Armand Franklin did not play in this game. 
Didn't even dress. Yeah, didn't dress. He was out the second half of the game uh, last or this the last game against Rutgers. You know, I, Armand's been a, a revelation. Might be slightly too strong of a word, but Armand has played really steady. He's had some excellent games this year. He's had a, a lot of objectively good- one of the most improved players in the Big Ten. No question. Do you have? Do you think at this point, if he's having this many problems with the leg, is it is it time to just try to shut him down for a while and, and get him back up to full health? Because I mean, obviously, he's going to want to play down the stretch here. But with the season where it's at right now, is it better for Armand Franklin at this point to let him get fully healed? Because he's obviously laboring. Like the way he's played in the second half of the season is nowhere close to where he played the first half of the season. Yeah, and you're seeing him limp around. I mean, even in games where he's continuing no. to play. Look, if there's any, Ar uh, go, go Schifrin just uh, announced that. Uh, Archie announced Armand is out for the rest of the regular season. So makes I, sense. There's the question. Well, and what I was going to say is, uh, if, if there's any danger of injuring, of aggravating and injuring his injury further, then yeah, he should shut it down because Armand's too important to the future of this program to to wallow in a 12 and 12 season and try and keep going. Uh, if there's any procedure that needs to be done or whatever, I, I would say, yeah, go get that done. But, you know, I, I, I think these next two games aren't going to be that important as far as any, I think Indiana is going to have to make a huge run of the big 10 tournament to, to make the tournament anyway. And so if you, if you're without, a hurt Armand. I don't think it's really going to help you against Purdue and and Michigan State. I mean, the only thing that Armand has really been able to consistently contribute is standing shooting uh, in these games is when he's open in the corner or something and can shoot. But even his shot has been off because he's not getting the lift out of that leg that he would normally get. So it, it throws your body off. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if he's injured and he's not okay and he's playing through pain, he should sit. Absolutely. 100%. These are kids. They, are, they aren't machines. And uh, if he's hurt, he, he should definitely sit, especially because it's a leg injury in basketball. Right. You know, it's not it's not your left, your offhand wrist or something like that. It is it is his foot. And he needs that to do everything on a basketball court. I promised I would get to this before we wrap things up entirely. And I'm going to let's talk about Indiana's NCAA tournament prospects at this. Stage. Do we have to no, well, it's gonna be a really quick conversation, Ryan? I promise you that. But uh, let's let's at least talk through the scenarios at this point, because you're still seeing Indiana pop up in mock brackets. Not all. Of and them. I don't get it. I, I well, <laughs> look and this is I think it's important for people to understand. I'm not advocating for IU to be put in, but I do think it's important that people realize Indiana's resume is it's not as bad as some other teams resumes are. And that's why they keep popping up even at the bottom or I guess at the top of the last teams out. Yeah, they're still in the conversation. But there's so there's a couple of things I think we need to keep in mind. One of them is I think there's never been a team that's been selected for an at large bid that was only one game above 500 and never a team that was 500 uh, selected for an at large. And. It's and if you're under 500, you used to be eliminated automatically, didn't you? Isn't yeah, it's, it's still like that. It's uh, still it's so that's in place for this year, the weird year too. Anyway, well, theoretically, I, I okay. think it kind of depends on what ends up happening with what they actually do with these replacement teams if there are gotcha. teams that need to be replaced. But generally speaking, you were not allowed to participate in yes. play as an at large with a losing yes. record. Right, you could participate as a as a automatic bid with a losing record, but. 
I, you know, it's ironic. Uh, people were talking about adding like the Michigan State game back or whatever. That game has really done as much to mess up Indiana's prospects of getting into the NCAA tournament as anything. Because without that game, you could have gone to Purdue, beaten, don't laugh, you know, the, the way the team is at right now. You could have gone to Purdue and beaten the Boilermakers, and you would have, even with this loss, been sitting at 13 and 12 with the possibility of winning a game in the Big Ten tournament. And then even if you lose after that, you're above 500, and in a strange year like this, you're getting in. Now, if you lose, even if you split these two games, in the best-case scenario, you go up to beat Michigan State, lose at Purdue, now you're 500, and you have to win two games in the Big at Ten least, tournament yeah. to get to the NCAA tournament. So um, at this point, Indiana's got to win their last two regular season games. They've got to get two games over 500. And, you know, I actually think they'd get in in that scenario, even if they lost their first Big Ten tournament game at that point, because at that stage, they'd be 9 and 10 in the conference, so almost 500. They played one of the top 10 most difficult schedules in college basketball. I, they may have had the most difficult schedule in conference in the Big Ten. I mean, they played all the good teams twice. Yeah. It's, you know, except for they're not going to wind up playing Michigan twice, but that's because of COVID. Thank goodness. Uh, yeah, but their, their, their strength of schedule in conference is, well, it's funny because according to Ken Palm, it isn't as bad as, as some of the others. Like Northwestern's played a much tougher one. Uh, Maryland's played a tougher one, but we'll see how that evens out as the yeah. season goes along. So, uh, yeah, that but, Michigan game is getting, Michigan State game is getting tougher and tougher every day. Yeah, no, they look very good. They beat Ohio State, uh, what, a couple of days ago. Uh, so that that game looks like you're facing a revitalized Michigan State team that beat you a week ago in their build. Dropped 52 points on you in the second half. On, yeah. you know. the, uh, the, the voodoo that Archie Miller's had over Tom Izzo teams during his career at IU, this would be a great time for it to pop out again. Uh, but that's essentially the only route I see for Indiana right now, trying to get into the NCAA tournament. They got to win at Michigan State. They got to win at Purdue. At that point, I think they'd be fine. But uh, you know, just a small little set of tasks, yeah, to handle. Just go um, do that, then win a game in the Big Ten tournament. Let's talk a little bit about that IU Michigan State game before we wrap things up. Any like we saw what happened in the first game. It seemed as much an effort issue as anything. Michigan State didn't start the game well at all. They Indiana they had- did too. Yeah, and in, and Michigan State had several players that started the game and then didn't play most of the rest of the game as Tom Izzo rejiggered things and tried to figure out like what was going to make the most sense. So there's at least that taste that Indiana had from the first ten minutes or so of the game that yeah we can play with these guys. What do they need to do? Like what do we need to see out of Indiana for them to have a chance in East Lansing? They got to stop Aaron Henry off the dribble. I mean that's that's essentially what won the game for Michigan State. Aaron Henry started driving into the heart of the defense. That opened everything else up for the offense, uh, for their offense. He was, you know, he had twenty seven points, I think it was, and and just dominated the game and took it over. and And the fact that he dominated the game when Trace Jackson Davis had thirty four and nine, it tells you how important he was. And and Henry has been up and down. He's been a disappointment to some. But the other thing they can't do is leave Gabe Brown open, wide open in the corner. The only place on the floor he's really consistent at shooting the ball. And and you know that guy just was consistently knocking down threes on them in the second half during that run. And it, you know you've just got to be smarter defensively. And 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 you've got to stop the drive. You cannot let Aaron Henry get into the paint because that again, opens everything up and that's how you start to collapse and Henry's wide open for threes and, you know, other guy, you know, Lankford's open in the corner to drive off of that or cut back door. I mean, you just have to stop the drive. 
It's that simple. It's what the defense is built to do, and you've got to do it. And offensively, you know, Trace Jackson Davis had a career high in that game, 34 points. But there was a bit of Bob Knight versus LSU in that strategy by Tom Izzo. Let's just let Shaq score and yep. bet that the other players aren't going to be able to do enough to beat us. And that's exactly what happened. So Indiana well, think about race the race Thompson had 15 in that game too. I mean, they seeded the well, interior. They, to Indiana. Yeah. They seeded, they seeded 10 feet in. And then we're just like, I don't think there's going to be enough out of the rest of them. And the problem here is Armand Franklin had 13 in that game. You're not going to have Armand Franklin in, in this game. So they're going to have to get double digit performances out of probably Al Durham and maybe Jerome Hunter. Maybe we see more Christian Lander. There has to be, uh, at yeah, least they got to knock down some shots. Yeah, there have to be two perimeter players, at least for IU, that actually score consistently in that game if IU is going to have a chance. Yeah, and the numbers from that first game that stand out are Indiana had ten steals in that game. Seven of them were Ray Thompson because he just you know was a beast in that game. But you know the numbers, if you look at them, don't look terrible for Indiana. You know, only eleven turnovers. Michigan State had fourteen. You know. The rebounding, Michigan State out-rebounded them by about seven, but a lot of that was late when Indiana was just hoisting threes. The one number, if you look along the line, I mean, the field goal percentage was you know not great, but not horrible. They made 70% of their free throws. They were four of 19 from three. You knock down three more threes, you win that game probably. you know, And that's been the story a lot for Indiana is you got to be able to knock down some shots and, and help out that interior presence. So... We'll see. It, I mean, relying on Indiana to hit big shots on the road is dicey. <laughs> dicey at best. If you're going to Vegas with that. You're probably not coming back. Not coming back with much money, no. <laughs> All right. You're listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Remember to check out our friends at Home Field Apparel. Use the promo code ASSEMBLY20. That's two zero at checkout to get 20% off your entire order. Ryan, time for last call. Bye. Let it take off with it. Uh, just a disappointing day, not because of the outcome, but because it just shows where Indiana is as a program. Now you're at 500 in the last week of February. You're not going to finish above 500 in the big 10 again. And you had a really good team come into assembly hall. And like I said earlier, they played like they own the place. They just, they didn't look intimidated. They looked ready to go. And there was a time where, you strolled into Assembly Hall, you knew you were in for a dogfight. And and while Indiana had effort today, this was not a dogfight. It was Michigan's game to win or lose. And, and of course, they were going to win it. And um, it's just a shame because I feel like there are some guys giving a lot of effort and it's just not really being rewarded because the team just doesn't know what it is. It doesn't know what it's supposed to do. And it doesn't have a strategy that's going to necessarily work. And, and so there's just flaws and those flaws we've seen them for a couple of years now. And, and we're just sort of, we are where we are and there, there's nothing else to be said about it. We'll let whatever's going to happen, happen. Uh, we have no control over it. Unfortunately um, we have no, we're, we're not decision makers here at, at Indiana. Something's got to change though, whether, whether it's the head coach or whether it's the philosophy of the head coach or whether it's the way they train, the way they work, the way they prepare the offense, whatever it is, something's got to change because this isn't acceptable. Getting blown off your home floor by anyone. I don't care how good they are is not acceptable. And, uh, you know, we, we, we are where we are and we can only hope for better days ahead. Yeah. It's, I think you summed up a lot of it quite well. I'll say this. A lot of people have pointed to, obviously, this being a COVID year and, and things have not been normal, uh, so to speak, when it comes to 
uh, playing games at home, but six home losses in conference play for I finished below 500 in conference at home. And I'd love to say that this was COVID only and that the normal ramparts of assembly hall, you know, were just stormed because of the virus. But look, uh, Archie Miller has now had three consecutive seasons in 2019. IU lost five conference games at home. In 2020, they lost four conference games at home. And now this year, six conference games at home. It's it's just not uh, not what we're used to with Assembly Hall. It's not where it needs to be. And it's not just the lack of crowd. I mean, the, the home court advantage is just essentially disintegrated for IU when it comes to playing at Assembly Hall. And if there's a if there's a real I, I was hoping what we'd see, even though Indiana was certainly outmatched, Michigan's certainly a better team. At some point, you like you look at the the magic of Assembly Hall occasionally coming out. The the fact that you're playing at home sometimes that makes a difference for teams, and here it just didn't for Indiana pretty much the entire season. Maybe in the Iowa game a little bit, but that's about it. And so I guess that's what I'll take out of this. Was I expecting Indiana to win from a realistic perspective? No and their effort was okay, I expected them to be a lot more on fire with their backs to the wall. And frankly, for most of the second half, they looked like they were running out the string. And that kind of feels the way the season's going at this point, is that the team is running out the string, while a team like Michigan State, which struggled more than Indiana did for the first two-thirds of the season, is hitting the accelerator. And that is, I think, a really big concern, not just for this season, but for the arc of this program under Archie Miller. On that thrilling and happy note that'll do it for us on this edition of uh, the assembly call iu postgame show if you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat be sure you subscribe to our youtube channel which is youtube.com slash assembly call you can just search assembly call on youtube as well and find it there special thanks to longtime listener bob thompson who produces a lot of the music that you usually hear on the show be sure to uh, go to assemblycall.com or text iu to 66866 to join the free email newsletter and thank you all for listening we'll be back to talk iu hoops again with you uh coming up on thursday as we've got the assembly call radio show coming up later on this week uh, actually i guess before that there is a basketball tuesday yeah it's tuesday i, I looked at the dates wrong but indiana going to be at michigan state that's an 8 p.m tip on big 10 network so I don't know what you guys are complaining about on the East Coast. It's five <laughs> o'clock. It's not bad. <laughs> but uh, we'll be getting started. I don't think I'll be there. But uh, hopefully <laughs> we got Jared back. We got, we'll got we have Ryan there. I think Coach might be back as well for that game. But that game or that uh, broadcast is going to be starting up yeah, around 10, 1030. Given it's a Big Ten game, who knows with the referees. But uh, be sure to bring it back to Assembly Call. Check out the postgame show. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you folks on the flip side. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.